welcome to the Bridge the Divide podcast with Erica Turner and Heidi Wheeler, hosts and founders of the group Bridge the Divide Cedarburg. We hope to provide a forum for discussion and action around racial reconciliation. We seek to identify instances of inequality, foster empathy, and educate others to recognize their part in problems and solutions in Ozaki County and beyond. you all for joining us again for another episode of Bridge the Divide podcast. Today in the studio, we have a guest with us, Miss Raina Andrews. How are you doing, Raina? Hello, hello. I'm so happy to be here. <laughs> it's it's it, it kind of important to us to bring in folks just to, we, we're proud of our community. We want to talk about our community, but we also want to learn things. And I think that you are a person that has a lot to tell us and we can learn a lot from you. So tell us about yourself. Um, my name is Raina Andrews, and I am a public health ambassador, a food advocate, and an author of the children's book, Alex McGreen and the Tale of the Mysterious Kale. I'm also the proud mommy of Julian James Andrews. <laughs> Gotta throw the mommy part in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, I have my baby is 19, but he's still my baby. So mm-hmm. just let him know. <laughs> so Raina, now we we have had you here at the Cedarburg Public Library before uh, about a month ago, mm-hmm. talking about your books. So so can you tell us a little bit about the book or do you want to talk to us about the, the healthy food movement first? I'd like to talk to you about the genesis of where all this started. Okay, all righty. Um, everyone has a food story, but I didn't discover my food story until just a few years ago. But when I look back, it really started nearly over 35 years ago. Mm. And I did a TED Talk back in 2016 through the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee's TEDx. And the title of that talk was Food Insecurity is a Public Health Concern. And if anyone's done a TED Talk or TEDx, it's an intense, in-depth look of, you know, in the beginning, what you thought you want to talk about. By the time you get there, you've completely been torn into shreds and rebuilt again. And so in talking about that, I had to do a deep dive into my own food story and my own experience of food security. And growing up, Um, in Houston, Texas, on the south side, Um, and I guess I would say a developing area, Mm -hmm. I went to school with all different types of students. And in my family, I didn't realize that we were so poor. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Because we always had food on our table. We just had these mismatch meals. Right. And I can just remember, and you can um, just YouTube Raina Andrews and, and the TEDx will come up. I just remember experiencing being hungry and being humiliated using food stamps mm-hmm. and going to the grocery store and letting a whole platitude of people come before me yeah. so I wouldn't have to pull out those brightly colored pieces they were of so paper. so bright. They, yes, you known as you food stamps. sneak them through no. at all. And no. now they have the EBT cards, which right. is um, much nicer to conceal. And mm-hmm. the whole narrative around food stamps has completely changed. Mm-hmm. Um But that was my food store, and I didn't discover that until 2016 when I had to do this deep dive. But when I say that it started um, 35 years ago, it's like since birth, I I didn't realize being born to a single mother that this was my experience. I just Mm -hmm. felt like this is what happens. Mm -hmm. And then um, 
in in high school, I realized that something just wasn't right, having beans every day. Right, right. And I was shocked. It wasn't until I started working for the food bank, Feeding America Eastern Wisconsin, that I realized that the reason why I've gravitated to this role is that something in me can identify with the clients that we serve every day. And so now as one of the leaders of our state's largest hunger relief organization, I think it's fitting for me to share my hunger story, Mm -hmm. to to let the masses know that I identify with you, I see you, Mm -hmm. and I will be a stand and an advocate for you Mm -hmm. behind these walls. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I like that. And that uh, advocating for them is... It can be an an interpersonal, let me tell you that everything will be okay. But it's also like globally, we've got policies, you've got, what do you do as an advocate? So as an advocate, I created what's called the healthy food movement. Mm -hmm. And so in advocacy, there's three platforms. One is education. Mm -hmm. The other is actual taking um, policy action. And the other is just informing populations about the disparities around food security, educating them on what that is. Because sometimes when people hear security, they think of like cybersecurity. Right. You know, um, right. somebody's putting poisoning in, poisoning in your food. But really, food security is a huge national problem with over 51 million Americans mm-hmm. not having enough to eat. And here mm-hmm. in Wisconsin, the statistic is one in seven. That's like if you, if you counted everyone in the library, it's right. probably quite a few people who mm-hmm. don't know where their food is going to come from. Right. And so when you talk about being an advocate, those are the three spaces that I play in. Okay, okay. Mm-hmm. And I don't, now, so growing up, I'm from Cleveland, mm-hmm. uh, inner city Cleveland, and I do remember at some point thinking, I'm so happy that we have uh, free free meals at school, mm-hmm. because if I did not have those meals at school, I either would not have a meal at all, or it's something that you've picked up or scraped together, certainly not a warm and I don't know, back then they probably still weren't very nutritious, but that that was the place. But there wasn't anybody that would talk about that with me. It was, well, you know, you guys should just do better and then you wouldn't have to do this. So I, I do remember feeling very isolated mm-hmm. when I was growing up. And I, so I, I'm glad that there's someone there that kind of really knows the story to be able to help folks through the next step, because you don't have to always have experience in order to help someone else. But it sure does help, I think, to... It absolutely yeah. does. And I think, as as I say with my book, representation matters. Mm-hmm. And I think, uh, I, I'd like to acknowledge that there are so many ambassadors of public health that have come before me and who have talked about a healthy, a healthy food movement, mm-hmm. some type of healthy food movement. And unfortunately, the masses who talk about healthy food movements are for those of privilege. Mm-hmm. This is a new kind of healthy food movement True. that talks about folks who don't have a voice for themselves mm-hmm. and don't even know that they're being disenfranchised. Mm-hmm. So I look mm-hmm. at the work that I do as social justice through the lens of having access to healthy and safe food. Right, right. I, I, again, you're taking me back to my childhood. I don't know mm-hmm. if this is good or not, but if, if you needed to go to the store there weren't grocery stores really in my area it was there's a liquor store that has a refrigerator that has some bread and milk in it maybe if you need that but even going to a store and having I'm assuming you're looking at fresh fruits vegetables clean food I didn't even see that I don't remember (laughs) so what that's what the healthy food movement is all about we are a um a 
group of public health ambassadors that are a stand for people having access to healthy and safe food Mm -hmm. in their neighborhood, in their communities. Mm -hmm. So what we do is we survey communities and we identify um, where the the blight is, where the blind spots are, where the food deserts are. And we advocate um, by creating citizen science groups where we employ the community to be their own voice. Okay. And, and we teach them how to advocate for themselves. And where all this starts is first through educating our next generation. Mm-hmm. Because the norms of adults our age and beyond, we have our fixed way of being, right? right? You, you're not going to tell us how to eat differently or <laughs> how to act differently or mm-hmm. how to shop differently. Mm-hmm. But if we teach them young as they're learning anew, right. that's where change can effectively happen right. for generations to come. Right, right. And now I, I heard you talking about a citizen scientist. Tell me, tell me what that is. So I learned um, the term citizen science group through my work with the university, um, the Medical College of Wisconsin. And um, I did a citizen science group with the Medical College of Wisconsin in partnership with the American Heart Association. And what that is, is taking a focus group of neighborhood residents and having them discover what a community problem is. So the problem that they were discovering is we don't have access to healthy and safe food. And instead of us coming in and saying, hey, you don't have access to healthy and safe food, you need a grocery store, we allow the citizens to come up with the conclusion of what do you need in your community? And then with our... um, our myriad of resources from from our lenses or from our platforms, we're able to connect them to where they can go and employ them to do the action on their own. Okay. Because it's it's from the grassroot level mm-hmm. that that change will be everlasting because mm-hmm. they created it rather than us coming in and kind of telling them what they need. Right, right, right. And, and now you want to communicate this to the next generation. How do you do that? How do you connect with them? Through storytelling, right? Because I think our next generation doesn't want you to tell them what to do. <laughs> but I think, it, to me, it's kind of like a game where you help them rediscover what it is. And so the healthy food movement is really about social justice. Mm-hmm. But people can't digest social justice. Right. People can't digest technical terms. Right. So I put it in the book like Alex McGreen, where mm-hmm. you tell the story of a young girl who's dealing with this social problem and how she solves it is by taking the public health of her community in charge. Mm-hmm. And, and that's how she affects change. So using Alex McGreen as a model for how you should live your life. Mm-hmm. And when you were here reading that to the students that we had here, they seemed really engaged. You know, if you mm-hmm. ask them a question about, well, really, and, and that kale, and yeah, what did grandpa say? You know, mm-hmm. they were just really engaged in trying to hear it now at this age right. and have that kind of stick with them so they can discover more and more as they get older. Right. I look at kale as being that gateway veggie. Um, <laughs> and, and plenty of people have heard about kale because it's kind of like that big buzzword or uh-huh. superfood. Um, most people don't really even know what superfoods are, but... Um, if, if, to me, success looks like if a child comes in and they're like, ooh, I've never had kale. Ooh, I don't want kale. Right. And I get them to try it and their mind is changed. And now they're requesting kale or bok choy uh-huh. or celery at home. For me, that's a win. Right, right. And oh, and do you ever hear back from students? I know. <laughs> oh, I do. Surprisingly, I get an overwhelming number of cards not overwhelming. It's so because it's very welcomed. Yeah. I get a lot of cards from the schools that I speak at, just personal notes from young people just saying, thank you so much for spending the time to share your knowledge. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I know when I do um, do my workshops for adults, they're appreciative, but I really appreciate hearing the voices from that next generation mm-hmm. because it gives me hope that by planting the seed with them, that then they'll teach their children, their children's children. And my desire in life is that 
our future will be way more promising than what we're living in now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, before we head to our, our next break, can you let our listeners know if they wanted to have you come and and work with a group at their school or at their library how would they how would they do that please visit my website healthyfoodmovement.com there is a connect with reina page and you can book me right online okay sounds good we'll be back right after this thank you We're back again with Raina Andrews and Raina told us about a little bit about her childhood and then we've heard now for the healthy food movement and author but there's a little gap in between there so how did you get from you know the the child in did you say Houston Mm -hmm. (laughs) how did you get from there to where you are now? Well, I've always been a curious person, and I would call this season that I'm in and I've been in for the last three years of me just really journeying. And working in a food bank, I started to learn the distinction between choice and fixed box meals. And so what I'm a big advocate of is regardless of your income, you being able to choose what you want to eat and what you feed your family. And so um, I'm a huge proponent of that internally and have been able to make huge strides that way. But um, as I was being an advocate on the community side, I also had to turn around the mirror and look at myself. Mm -hmm. And um, three years ago, I was about 50 pounds heavier than what I am now. And I started looking at, well, I have all the choice in the world and what am I putting into my body? Uh And so as we talk about my plate and what we prescribe for people to eat and consider it healthy, I started questioning myself on what really is healthy. And um, I started building a community um, or tribe of community members that I knew were fierce food advocates. Mm -hmm. And one, I would say my first one was Manan Sabir, who is the founder of the Juice Kitchen and um, Shindig in the Sherman Phoenix. And I became good friends with him and his wife, um, Joanne Sabir. And they started talking to me about superfoods and whole foods. And my dad started talking to me about moringa and using spices to heal your body. And then I started learning about Dr. Sebi. And I started learning about all the best knowledge was either shared by word of mouth or Mm -hmm. is in a book. Mm -hmm. And I know unless you know the people and unless you've built a tribe, you won't find this information. And most people aren't just going to look in a book. If you can't Google it, you're not going to find out. (laughs) And and so I started to try this to test it on myself. So if I'm advocating for it, I need to know that it works. Mm -hmm. And so I started doing what I call the final 15, which is for 15 weeks. And by the way, if you can sit through anything for 15 weeks, that's the change lifestyle. (laughs) And so I I piloted um, three years ago where I just went on a personal cleanse for 15 weeks where I ate nothing white and drank no alcohol, Mm -hmm. meaning no potatoes, no starches, no sugar, no rice, not even brown rice. And at that point, I lost 30 pounds in 15 weeks. Oh. I felt great. I look great. Uh-huh. And then I had a baby. Uh-huh. <laughs> and then that. I got pregnant, right? Right, 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 right. <laughs> and um, I just felt really good. And then I became educated on why am I drinking all this water and I still feel really thirsty. And then I started learning about the pH balance in, in water. Mm. And so whenever I do my nutrition education and we make our Alex McGreen smoothies, mm-hmm. I always make it a point to teach people about 
to get the most whole foods as you possibly can. Mm -hmm. If you can grow it yourself, even better. Mm -hmm. I tell, I talk about lead and water. I talk about lead and soil. I talk about the things that aren't common conversations, Mm -hmm. but that affect your health. Mm -hmm. And so I think the healthy food movement or Anyar Enterprises is the umbrella to where all this knowledge and social justice lives. And so when I talk about journeying, that's that's where I'm just discovering all of this stuff. Okay. And sharing it with the masses. And you're not necessarily saying that Everything has to be growing yourself. If you are not going to become a farmer, an urban farmer, right this second, that all is lost. Mm-hmm. That's, I mean, that, that would probably be, you can control things mm-hmm. from the seed up if you're doing it yourself. But um, what? tell me a little bit about the, the history. We talked once before about black farmers, histories of, of black farmers. Well, I think it would be apropos for me to um, mention during National Women's History Month, um, Fannie Lou Hamer. Okay. You know, Miss, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired, <laughs> right? Um, but most people don't know that Fannie Lou Hamer has roots here in Wisconsin, where actually in Madison she received a grant to buy a plot of land in Mississippi. I believe it was like 60 acres. And so what she did in the 1960s was pivotal. And I think lesson that all, um, all specifically African-Americans should be aware of that there was a, African-American cooperative that she started in the heights of the, in the height of the civil rights era. Mm. And, um, a good friend of mine, Dr. Monica White wrote a book on it. Um, and I'm trying to think of the name of the book, excuse me. Um, it's called the freedom farmers, agricultural resistance and the black freedom movement. It came out just last month in February and you can find it on Amazon. But what this book talks about is just really Fannie Lou Hamer's work and what she did with the black farmers movement Mm -hmm. and how we've gone from the conversation of, you know, pride and growing your own food to our young generation. It just, I cringe to hear them talk about growing your own food and farming or Mm -hmm. any type of labor Mm -hmm. as slave work. Uh, And so I think there's a narrative shift that's happened mm -hmm. that we need to, that that the healthy food movement is out to completely shift again to talk about being reconnected to the earth Mm -hmm. and the source of our food. Mm -hmm. Because everything that we get that comes in boxes and plastic bags has additives that is not adding value to mm-hmm, us. Mm-hmm. And I do remember um, reading something about uh, when when you're talking about growing your own food and making it connect to social justice work is you're, you reclaim control of what you're eating and what you're doing. And, and if you know exactly where it comes from and how it looks coming out of the ground because you were there, then that's a control that you've reasserted back for yourself. Absolutely. I mean, if consumers realized how many time their, times their food has been touched from the <laughs> farm to the time that it gets to your dinner plate, on average, it's 23 times. Oh, no. That's 23 times for exposure of salmonella. That's 23 times of exposure of E. coli. That's 23 opportunities for your food to become contaminated. Yeah. And not to mention, every time it's touched, there's a cost ass- assessed to it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So when people talk about eating healthy, it's just so expensive. Right. I consider it to be very expensive not to not not to know where your food is coming from. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I have a question about university. So we've talked about educating children. You know, um, some of us that have gotten so old is going to be hard to educate us. You've got this group, college age students. How do you reach them? I know that there are some universities that even start to recycle your points from your meal card to help with food insecurity because students are you know if you get a a, 
if you have enough money to have your tuition paid for and maybe your books and you're working full time, you are you going to go out to get the salad or, you know, how do we how do we get to them? What can we do for them? So I meet them where they are. Mm -hmm. So what's been done over the last several years is that universities have been doing their own research to find um, their campus hunger studies Mm -hmm. and what they're finding is the massive number of students who are paying I mean just just listen to this the massive number of students who are working to pay tuition yet they can't afford to eat well folks if you can't eat you can't think and so they have these um, campus pantries or campus cupboards and so um, what I've created through a partnership with Walmart, Feeding Wisconsin, and Feeding America Eastern Wisconsin is starting on UW Parkside's campus in Kenosha mm-hmm. is um, SNAP Outreach. So mm-hmm. I've hired four interns to advocate to their peers and to let their peers know that they qualify for food stamp benefits mm-hmm. and just how they can sign up. Mm-hmm. So even if you are experiencing a hardship, you can still... In- maintain your integrity and pride and somewhat secrecy, Mm -hmm. but still have the food and the nutrients that you need to function as a, as a whole student. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, and reaching back to the days of uh, food stamps and what you can get, you know, very Mm -hmm. stringent on what you can get. And now you can actually take your, your uh, EBT card Mm -hmm. to farmer's market and to get food that's actually good for you. That's exactly right. And so, I mean, just snap outreach on campus is one method. The campus cupboard is another method. And I just want to reemphasize that food stamps and all these food programs like WIC, Women, Infant, and Children, Mm -hmm. and the free lunch program, all those are emergency food assistance. That's what all this stuff is designed to be. It's not long term. Um, but I'm I'm a storyteller, and I like gathering stories. And what I'm discovering, and the population I'm most concerned about, are our seniors. They mm. are the um, most rapidly growing population that is in need of food and food assistance. But what's most concerning about that population is that that's more of a permanent need until they die. Right. Because you know their income, their fixed Social Security, mm-hmm. is not enough. Mm-hmm. And the food stamps that they get, they don't qualify enough. So they they they're, they make too much to qualify for the benefits, and they don't make enough to survive. Right. So right. then they start making decisions about transportation mm-hmm. and um, their medical bills, right. or transportation and food, right. or housing, right. and right. and so right. you begin to compromise your way of life. Right. Right. And I, I'm assuming that the Meals on Wheels, if we kind of opened up and look at those, those mm-hmm. those would not qualify as a as the best the best type of food the best meal for for uh, feeding our seniors well I don't so I, I can't criticize the meals on wheels I'm not sure what they're serving nowadays mm-hmm. okay. but I know that they do have nutrition standards okay however that is a meal yeah right and right it's advised that we have three square meals a day right albeit the American diet with one meal you could probably make three meals out of it mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but but I would say all this is a supplement and that the the idea of hunger is so complex because what I would what I would offer is that if you are food insecure, it's likely that you also need to check with your income. Like, mm-hmm. do you have employment? Do you have housing? Do you have sufficient health care? Right. Right. And how does that when you're talking to um, city leaders, when you're talking to um, folks that are working on our legislature, how are you able to not convince them, I guess is the right word, but convey to them how important this is when they are feeling like they have to choose between I've got to work on housing or I've got to work on getting people employed. Are they understanding that this is an important thing to, 
that needs a priority? I think number of legislators understand this is a prior uh, understand this is a problem. Mm-hmm. I think the operative word do they make it a priority? And I don't think so. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't think the call to action in the hunger space has been so clear. We do it on a case by case basis. So one thing that we we're advocating for a year ago was harvest for hope and that was a piece of legislation that worked with um, farmers that allowed us to glean excess product from the from the fields Mm. beyond what the farmers had already gleaned because i don't know if you know this but there are tons and tons of pounds of food that they end up destroying by burning in the field or in some other um, states they have animals come out and glean and eat the food from the vegetation but what that Harvest for Hope would have done was had a coffer of $500,000 where the food bank and the state would both put in 250000 so it's a coffer of $500,000 mm-hmm. worth of resources to help fund the gleaning of that excess food. Wow. Okay. I, There's I more to never, come on that. I yeah. know. I never heard Yeah, it gets that. deep. Yeah. Right. Okay, let's go for another break and we'll be back shortly. So food insecurity is a public health concern. And the reason why I say it's a public health concern is because in Wisconsin, one in seven households don't have enough food to eat. But Milwaukee County, where children are present, which is the most desperate, there's one in four households is food insecure, Hmm. which means that they don't have enough food to eat. And the reason why this is such a um, such a a disparity is that in Wisconsin, there are 1.1 billion pounds of food that goes to waste, either through canned goods that has maybe 1% too much salt or um, box goods that has just uh, a half half percentage point too much sugar. So it's no longer a grade A product that... Um, Okay. That grocers or retailers, wholesalers, manufacturers have to get rid of. Okay. And so we also talk about restaurants and grocery stores that throw all this food away. Mm-hmm. But I think I'm grateful for partnerships like with Feeding America and Direct Connect partnerships that can be formed directly with food pantries where food can be picked up and diverted from the landfill. Okay. So that's what I talk about with food security is that it's not that we don't have enough food. Mm -hmm. It's just some of the policies and laws that prohibit people from accessing the food in a timely basis. Mm -hmm. So you now you're identifying some, some obstacles, some um, things that just aren't, they aren't on par with how they could be. What do we do about that? What, what is it that we can do now? So there are a lot that's happening. I think um, what the system hasn't been really clear on is how do we, One, how are we defining the problem? Because I think Mm -hmm. how we've been defining the problem has been a miss for so long because we often talk about together we can solve hunger. We can do this about hunger. And I think hunger is a term that people can identify with. But when you talk about solving hunger, that's an individual symptom. Uh And it's a symptom of the bigger problem, which is food security. So now that we've shifted the conversation and started acknowledging food security, now we can address it because food security by definition, is the scale or the degree to which a household has not had sufficient amount of food, healthy and safe food, within a 12-month period. It's terrible that you had to add healthy and safe food because if there's desperation, then 
whatever you need to do to feed your body because you have to get up and go to work. You have to think you don't have any glucose going to your brain. How are you thinking how it that's spoken like a true nurse? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So, I mean, if you don't have food, you can't think. And if your basic human needs not being met, I mean, I've shared research studies that connect um, the access to healthy and safe food to brain development, young children, Mm -hmm. your ability to function in school, Mm -hmm. even crime. When you think about you not being able to feed, I mean, have you ever been hangry? Right. Right. Oh, I'm hangry. Oh, I need something to eat. That does not make for a good conversation if you're really irritable. Right. Mm -hmm. But just imagine (laughs) that communities aren't being nourished. And so you fall into survival mode. And statistically, and what research will show is that um, communities that are in food deserts that aren't being nourished begin to fall into survival mode. And that's why you have heightened... heightened crime in those areas. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so people aren't talking about that. So first right. we need to clearly define the problem, acknowledge that there is a problem and then come together as a community because what we're talking about is a public health concern. So it's right. not just a food issue, right. but it's an education issue. It's a housing issue. It's an employment issue. It's right. a medical issue. Right. And so all of us need to come together to acknowledge this, put our piece of the puzzle on the table and to strategize together how we're going to coordinate this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Just like I'm not saying that Epic, like the the medical uh-huh. um, database system. Yep. I'm not saying that that's perfect, but we need an epic type system to right. coordinate all of these resources to make sure that each person, each human is taken care of and that we provide them with wraparound services. That's how we're going to eradicate this. Right. And acknowledge that there's a huge ad, uh, there's a huge access issue. Access from a monetary lens. Can mm-hmm. I afford the food that I get? Right. A geographical lens. How far is it for that resource? Right. And also the food literacy access piece. It's yeah. like, okay, is this culturally appropriate Mm -hmm. and how do I use arugula and what is this eggplant squash why is it so hard right exactly exactly you can tell me that I'm supposed to have quinoa how in the world do you cook that I don't know (laughs) yes and so when you ask well what's next or or what needs to happen so through the healthy food movement it it all started off with just Alex McGreen the tale of the mysterious kale and me educating children Mm -hmm. but I see that adults as the children are coming home and asking their parents about this they're finding a need to want to educate themselves And so I've created a framework for adults and um, there's a whole product line that's coming out. There's another book coming out um, called Alex McGreen and the Bok Choy Boys, which is all about food security (laughs) and Mm e-commerce and and young people really taking charge of their own uh, financial Mm well-being. And so this has become more of a movement than I ever expected. But I think that's all a part of my journey. Right, right. And and one of the reasons why we want you here. So we're in Ozaukee County and there is sometimes a very distinct line between the counties. And if you try to talk to folks who have means and have privilege for everything else, how do you talk to them about, you know, there might be some folks in Ozaukee County that are struggling and they're not going to say anything to you or or even that's for the access part and the resources, but the literacy. We Are we going to admit that we don't know things because we know everything? What What are you saying to us? What can we do for ourselves and what can we do for the global I mean, our community still rides into other other counties, and I think that's another thing we have to work on. That the neighbors is not just us. I think that's a part of the old narrative and the in the notion of shaming community. Mm-hmm. And I think you have to look at the history of Ozaki County once being one of the most wealthiest communities mm-hmm. in our state, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so to have the notion that we have people that live below poverty is almost baffling mm-hmm. and some are in disbelief. Mm-hmm. And so I think there's a sense of denial. However, you have um, folks like the Sockville community, uh, community food pantry who are mm-hmm. doing great work. Who I've worked with many a times who, um, 
who are the community's response to that? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I think that we'll, um, educating ourselves, there's so many things that we need to educate ourselves about. So folks that aren't, you know, hopefully you'll start by listening to this podcast and hearing all of the information that Raina has to share. How else can they learn more? What else can they sign up for? What are their thing? Are there um, um, other sessions that you're doing in other places that are coming up? I would say in this movement, we need food funds and friends. Okay. So, um, Look up, um, you could just do a Google search for food pantries, food banks in the area, and volunteer, right? Mm -hmm. Volunteer to either host a food drive, to do a collection at your church, at your workplace, because we need food to survive and continue this. We need funds um, from a, a monetary standpoint, like, Things need to run. They, run. Yeah, yeah. And we also need a lot of friends. And we need friends from a volu- volunteer standpoint, but also friends from an advocacy lens and an influencer lens. Because this this notion that hunger is a problem in our community, it's like not everybody realizes that. But when you break it down, as I've broken it down today and when I do my sessions, it's like then your eyes are open. Mm-hmm. And so find yourself in the space of food funds and friends and go out and volunteer at your local food pantry and food bank and go to healthyfoodmovement.com because we have a number of resources that really spells out this issue. Mm-hmm. And to book me to come speak to your to your classroom or to your workplace mm-hmm. because I'd love to be able to um, devise a plan. Right, right. And I, I again, I have to go back to the last time you were here with us at the library. We kind of left going did you know that? I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. Oh boy. <laughs> so there's a it's lot to opener, learn. Yeah. It really is. It really is. All righty. That's good. I am so glad that you were able to come out with us. We're going to have some of this information on our, um, on our site at uh, Facebook. We're going to have it sent out to our bridge, the divide friends, how they can connect with you um, with the healthy food movement how we can make sure that we hear about the bok choy boys when mm-hmm. they come by to meet Alex. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um and what else what else come some parting words can you can you share with us for the folks from Bridge the Divide? Yeah. And so regardless for all of my young listeners out there, um, regardless of your age, just know you don't have to wait for some day maybe to cause your own movement. Your movement can start today. Um, you can access my book Alex McGreen and the Tale of the Mysterious Kale on Amazon or at the healthyfoodmovement.com. Thank you so much, Raina. I appreciate it. (laughs) Thanks for all the listeners. We'll talk to you next time. Thank you for having me.